God's word from Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths, so he went away amazed at what had happened. Thank you. All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to spend some time thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I pray you'd help me. You'd help me with all the different things going on in the world right now. You'd help me to teach and to share the truth from your word that will ground us in the peace and the stability and the order that you give to us. Lord God, would you guard my lips? I only want to teach that which is truthful and helpful. And God, though we're scattered right now, I pray that you would remind us that we are united by faith in Jesus, the one who laid down his life and who rose again, that we might have right relationship with God. So be with us, us, I pray now. In Jesus' name, amen. It does feel like the world is more chaotic maybe than it's ever been in, in our lifetimes. And it's, it's chaos out there. There's government officials and epidemiologists and, and, and people making all these proclamations and things that seem like they're changing on a day-by-day basis. The governor of Washington State canceling school, the school district responding with how they're going to uh, try to continue distance education and, and the Senate passing a stimulus bill and all this stuff that's out there, all this chaos that you just can't keep up with. And maybe for some of you, when I say chaos, you're thinking about the chaos just within your own home. You're trying to work from home and you've got kids trying to do school at home and it's just one interruption after another and you can't seem to get any traction and you can't seem to get any peace and it just seems like disorder reigns. But I think for all of us, all of us, are we're wrestling at some level, not just chaos out there or chaos in the house, but really the chaos in our own hearts and in our own minds. There's fear and there's worry and there's what ifs and what's going to happen and all that sort of stuff leads to, I use the word fragmentation. I've felt fragmented these last few weeks. I shared that with our our elder team that just, it's hard to focus. It's hard to think clearly. It's hard to really have a sense of what's going on and, and where are things going and what do I do in the middle of all this? And when I think about the subject of chaos, it really is relatable to these first disciples, these first followers of Jesus on this Sunday morning, this first day of the week when Jesus rises from the dead. See, it had already been a pretty chaotic week for them leading up to this. You have 
Palm Sunday. That was a chaotic scene. You have Jesus going into the temple and, and clearing out the money changers. That was a chaotic moment. You have the chaos of Jesus cursing the fig tree, and, and then he's washing the disciples' feet, and, and then they're having a, a, a meal together where he's accusing Judas of being a betrayer, and things get awkward. And then they go to the garden, and they're, they're, it's late at night, and Jesus is praying, and the disciples are falling asleep, and all of a sudden, soldiers show up, and they're taking him to a, a trial in the middle of the night, and this is all just happening one thing after another. And, and before they know it, the disciples are seeing their rabbi, their teacher, their leader, who they had believed was the promised king, the promised Messiah of God, being crucified on a Roman cross. It has been a week of absolute chaos, and there's even more seeming chaos that happens on this morning of the resurrection. In, in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, and it's referring to this group of women, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. See, friends, these, these first disciples, the Gospel of John tells us, had been behind closed doors, quarantined at home, sheltering in place for fear of the religious leaders of the day. And they were there all day on the Sabbath. And now that it's the first day of the week, it had been so chaotic, they didn't even have time to properly bury Jesus' body. So these women are venturing out for some essential services and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. That's not supposed to be. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, yeah, perplexed. Anybody else felt perplexed recently? These first disciples of Jesus, these women, were perplexed. And while they were in that state of feeling perplexed, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women who were perplexed are now terrified and bowed down to the ground. So they went from perplexed to terrified just that quick. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, it's necessary that the son of man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men to be crucified and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. They remembered Jesus' words that, that Jesus said he had to go to the cross. He had to die uh, at the hands of sinful men so that sinful people like us could be forgiven of our sins and could be washed clean and could be brought into right relationship with God. But they're still in this state of being perplexed and being confused and being even terrified. So they returned from the tomb and they went back and reported all these things to the 11, the 11 remaining disciples, uh, the ones who are not named Judas Iscariot, and to all the rest. See, there were others besides the official you know, 11 apostles that were remaining. There's others there, and Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. There's a large group of women that, that were part of this uh, inner circle of Jesus' followers, and they're telling the apostles these things. I love this in verse 11. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Another case of guys not believing the women when they really should. Some things don't change 
They, the words just seem like nonsense. What are you talking about? The tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. Angels are appearing. This seems crazy. What are you even saying? You had some feelings like that recently? It's things that seem like nonsense? Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And for those of you at Sound City who remember we studied the Gospel of John, John wanted us to know that he outran Peter on the way to the tomb. So just you know, go look that up. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths, the burial cloths of Jesus. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Now, obviously, the story is going to continue on where they see the resurrected Christ face to face. And there's many things that happen between now and when Jesus ascends into heaven. But the idea I want to focus in on today is that this resurrection morning was rather chaotic. But, but actually, even though it seemed chaotic, there's something happening here that's more important than we could ever even state. It's this. It's that Jesus' resurrection was actually the start of a new creation. God bringing order to chaos. What seems like this morning of chaos is actually God bringing his order into a world that has been disordered by sin. And if you think about the biblical storyline, if you think about the storyline of the Bible as it relates to chaos, you can see a few things. The, the very first words of the whole Bible in Genesis 1 talk about God created the heavens and the earth, and it says the earth was formless and void, or, or it was wild and it was kind of empty. And see, when God created all things by the word of his power, things were disordered. And the rest of Genesis 1 is God bringing order where there was chaos. And in particular, the, the spirit of the Lord, it says, is hovering over the surface of the waters. And in the mindset of the ancient Near Eastern people, particularly the ancient Jews, water stood for chaos. If you've ever been on a boat in the middle of a serious storm, you know how truly chaotic water can be. And so water symbolizes chaos. And when, when God is hovering over the surface of the waters, he's hovering over the chaos, and he then spends the rest of Genesis 1 ordering things, bringing day and night and dry land and the sea. And then, later in Genesis 1, God creates humanity. Male and female, he created them. In the image and likeness of God, he created them. And then God gives them this directive. He says, I want you to fill the earth, multiply, be fruitful, fill the earth. So I have lots of other humans. And he says, to uh, subdue it. See, the, the Genesis has this picture. There's a garden, and the garden, the Garden of Eden, is perfection. It's the, it's the throne room of God, but the rest of the world is, as of yet, still wild and in need of being subdued. And God created mankind to partner with him. He created men and women to, to be his stewards here on earth to help bring order to a world that was, as of yet, still disordered. But the problem is, is in Genesis 3... The whole world is plunged into chaos. The, the woman and the man believe the voice of the evil one, the, the serpent in the garden, and they disobey God's uh, commandments and they hand over, essentially, the, the rulership that mankind is supposed to have over to this evil one who is an agent of chaos. 
God is a God of order, and, and this opposer, this evil one, is opposed to God's good order. And the Bible calls this, this serpent, or the devil calls it the ruler of this world, and all things are plunged into chaos and disorder because mankind failed to do what God commanded us to do. And, and you read through the storyline of the Bible, most of the storyline of the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, is just the claim that we really need a good king, we really need a good ruler to come along and to bring order out of all this disorder. The book of Judges puts it perfectly. The book of Judges is perhaps the most chaotic book in the entire Old Testament. And there's this line that's repeated in in Judges. You can see it right at the end of Judges 21. It says, in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's just chaos. And the whole Bible leads up to this point where Jesus shows up on the scene and he claims to be the king that God has promised. And if you read in John chapter 19, when they put this this sign up over his head, it says he's the king of the Jews. John actually tells us that they put it into multiple different languages so that it could be read by all people groups of the earth, that Jesus is the long-awaited, the long-promised king. John Calvin, the the Protestant reformer, he he says this about this this moment of Jesus' crucifixion, that he's conquering Satan and, and, and bringing order where there's been chaos. John Calvin says this, the world has been brought into a state of good order by the victory of Christ, by which he overturned the authority of Satan. It's as if he had said that this is a true restoration by which all things are reformed when Christ alone holds the kingdom, having subdued and triumphed over Satan. Judgment, therefore, is contrasted with what is confused and disordered. Or, to express it briefly, it is the opposite of confusion. Or, we might call it righteousness. Isn't that interesting? John Calvin says we could use the word righteousness to describe the opposite of confusion and disorder, a sense which it often bears in Scripture. The meaning, therefore, is that Satan, so long as he retains the government, as long as he's in charge, perplexes and disturbs all things so that there is an unseemly and disgraceful confusion in the works of God. But when he is stripped of his tyranny by Christ, then the world is restored and good order is seen to reign. And friends, that's what Jesus did in this crucifixion and resurrection as he stripped the power away from Satan. And he, Jesus, the true human, fully God and but fully man, he now is humanity ruling and reigning as God intended all the way back in Genesis 1. And it's the storyline of the Bible then gives us a promise in Revelation 21 that one day creation will all be restored to the sense of order and the sense of peace that God has intended for us. In Revelation 21, it has this little phrase where it says, you know, all things are passed away, things are made new. And it says, the sea was no more. And people kind of read that and think, why? There's not going to be any ocean? All the, all the surfers, Pastor Kyle from Sound City is really bummed. There's not going to be surfing in the new heavens, the new earth? No, it's, it's, a, it's a symbol to say that the waters of chaos will finally be 100% fully tamed as God planned from the beginning. And it all happens, it all starts here on this new creation morning. 
See, friends, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus is day one of new creation. In the first creation, God was bringing order to disorder. And here in the new creation, God, through Jesus, is bringing order to disorder. New, the resurrection is a new creation morning. A couple of clues that tell us that. First of all, it's the first day of the week. We often think of Sunday as the last day of our week before we start on Monday, but, but Sunday was, for, for the ancient Near Eastern world, Sunday was the start of the week. God started creation on a Sunday. On the first day of the week, he rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. There's a second clue in particular in the Gospel of John, if you look over at John's account of the resurrection, when, when, when he's having this interaction with Mary Magdalene, it says that Mary Magdalene thought that Jesus was the gardener. Where does, where does creation begin? In a garden, the Garden of Eden. Where does new creation begin? In the garden tomb where Jesus comes out bringing life and order where there's been disorder. And, and the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, that the third clue is that, that Jesus started this new creation, that he's the, the first fruits of more to come. Paul says this, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, for just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus is not some random miracle that took place. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a demonstration of his power to prove that his claims were truthful. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus is the decisive blow against the the prince of the powers of the air, the ruler of this world, who has brought disorder and confusion and chaos. This is a new Creation and God through Jesus is bringing order. And, and sometimes skeptics will look at something like the resurrection and will say, this doesn't seem like a natural thing. This doesn't happen according to nature. But friends, I would say from a Christian perspective, it's the most natural thing that could happen. Nature has been disordered. Nature, the world, has been, has been subjected to futility and to disorder and to chaos because of humanity's sin and because the opposition of this evil one. But friends, Jesus has been raised from the dead to inaugurate a new creation. I love what Paul says in Acts chapter 26. He says, why do any of you think it's so incredible that God raises the dead? It's not that crazy. Of course God would raise the dead. He's the one that spoke things into existence in the first place, and now he's bringing order into the chaos and disorder of this world. And it all happens because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to close with a couple of thoughts. You, you might be saying, wow, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty big theology. That's a lot to think about. What, what does that mean for me? How does that affect me? So what? Well, I think it means three things at least. The first one is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, we we are not ruled by chaos. We might live in a world that still shows the signs of of the disorder and the chaos that has ruled and reigned, but, but it means that we are not owned by that. 
We are not ultimately citizens of this fractured and disordered and broken world. Uh, the, The scriptures tell us that we're citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, chaos does not rule and reign in your world, in your household, or even in your hearts or your minds. You belong to Jesus. And our God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order. The second thing I think that it means for us, though, is we have to remember that this reordering begins in our own hearts and minds. The the world does still seem chaotic, and there is a lot of brokenness, and there's a lot of trouble, and there's a lot of trial, but God wants us to come to him in humility and in faith and to let him reorder our own hearts and minds. And this, friends, this all starts at the moment of salvation when we bow our knees and we say, God, my mind has been disordered. My heart, my desires, my affections have been disordered, have been sinful, have been broken. And I am repenting of all of that. And I am bringing my broken, fractured, fragmented life to you, Lord Jesus. And I am saying, would you save me? And at that moment of salvation, friends, God not only saves us and redeems us, gives us the gift of eternal life, but he begins this process that will take us on to the day of completion of beginning to put us back together. The, the chaos and the disorder that has, that has ruined our hearts and has ruined our minds. He's reordering us. He's beginning this process of new creation in our hearts and in our minds. So it starts with us. And friends, if you're watching today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I invite you to know the reordering that can take place in your heart and in your mind because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he died and because he rose again. And then number three, it means this. It means that followers of Jesus We work hard to see Jesus' order come into the chaos of this world. Sometimes there's an accusation against Christians, against followers of Jesus. Oh, you're you're, you're always thinking about heaven and, and you're not actually doing any good here on earth. Friends, that should be the farthest thing from any of us. If we really truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus, if we really truly believe that God has inaugurated this new creation project through the resurrection of Jesus, and if we really believe that one day we're going to see him face to face, well then friends, we should be the ones working the hardest to help bring order into disorder, to help bring peace into chaos, because that's what Jesus has done within us. We, as Christians, must be at the forefront of caring for the poor and caring for the needy and and bringing uh, justice to those who are oppressed. That must be at the forefront of who we are, not just sitting back, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for this, this, you know, the waiting for the return of Jesus. We're not just going to sit back and, you know, wait for the quarantine to be over. I see you all are learning how to knit and learning how to, you know, program HTML. You're all learning a bunch of stuff. You're doing a bunch of stuff. A million times more, we might be stuck still in this world of futility, but we've got work to do, friends. And so let us be about the business of the kingdom of God because he has saved us. He has brought order into our minds and into our hearts. So let us work to bring God's good, wise, and loving order and rule to this world. I'll close with the words of Hebrews chapter 2. The author of Hebrews says that, that in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. I paraphrase that for you. Jesus is now in charge of everything. 
He's now in charge of everything. But as it is right now, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. There's still disorder in the world and we're still waiting for this. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. But now we see him that he is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Friends, we look out in our world and it sure seems like there's a lot of things that are still fractured and disordered and chaotic. But we see Jesus. We see Jesus, the one who rose on the first day of the week to begin to bring new creation into our hearts and our minds and into the entire world. And it's to him that we give the honor and we give the glory. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would let peace rule and reign in our hearts and in our minds. And God, you would let us be about your work of helping to bring order into a world of disorder. Lord, right now we pray for leaders and people in positions of authority. Would you give them wisdom in this time of disorder and chaos? Lord, we pray uh, that you would bring an end to this pandemic and you would protect people's physical bodies from this sickness. And while we experience the, the already and not yet of your kingdom, Lord Jesus, would you help us to be people who are grounded in the order and the peace that you give to us because of our Savior Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Friends, at this time, I want to share with you just a, a couple of short videos from some, some people, from some friends of ours who have seen Jesus enter into their lives and, and change their lives and bring uh, peace where there was chaos, bring order where there was disorder. And so we're going to hear from them, hear their testimonies of God's goodness, and we're going to sing together uh, before we're done. So I love you, Sound City. I love you, Martha Lake. Uh, let's hear these testimonies now. Happy Easter, church family. This is Bryce Ferguson. I want to tell you how Jesus changed my life. Hello. I wanted to take a minute to say Happy Easter and to tell you about how Jesus changed my life. So if you give me a couple minutes of your time, I just want to tell you quickly how Christ has changed me. Growing up, my parents were both atheists. I was born into a Christian family. I grew up in a non-Christian home. So growing up, I heard about Jesus all the time. So growing up in South Florida as an immigrant from Korea, I lived through a lot of struggles, a lot of sin, a lot of shame and brokenness within myself, the marriage dynamics of my parents, even the relationship with my sister. See, I grew up believing in God, but I never really knew him. I didn't have a, a personal relationship with him. So when I was growing up, I grew up in a very divided world. Um, my parents divorced when I was very young. Um, I was two and a half, and uh, part of that was because my mom had started going to church, and my dad didn't want anything to do with it. So I was raised in a, a very um, binary way, where my mom took us to church. Um, she did everything you would anticipate of a typical church raising, um, and then on my dad's side, uh, it was a very um, worldly raising. But I still saw him as someone who I had to please, and I saw the Bible as a set of rules I had to follow so that Jesus wouldn't be mad at me. I had a curiosity about God. I believed in a God, but I 
didn't know him personally. In my home, generosity was not something that was really modeled for me and neither was service or sacrifice. I would say a lot more selfishness was modeled and the idea of whatever you could get for yourself was something that you had to sort of grab a hold of. And so after becoming a Christian when I was a teenager and then later on when I became a mom and a wife, it was really something that I struggled with, my own sort of selfishness and my own desire to get my own way and to have things be equal and fair. I think I admitted to working 85 hours a week. I think actually I was working about 100 hours a week, maybe more, um, because I had a lot of responsibility and I was driven, 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 and I was super afraid of failing um, because I had so much tied up in my success at work and just my desire for my boss to be happy. My life before Christ, by experiencing so much rejection, I learned that I was unacceptable to people. I learned that, especially in my teens, to be accepted. I had to do whatever I needed to do, be whoever I needed to be, to be accepted. That led me down a very destructive path. I started to use drugs at a very early age, the age of 13, and more relationships, and drinking to get drunk, eating disorders. I went through some really hard experiences. Some of my actions, you could say, um, were mapped to God's kingdom. Um, and then the other half was very much for my kingdom. Me as an individual. I started to believe that any small failure on my part would lead to abandonment um, by other people, but ultimately by Jesus. As far as God, I knew He existed. I believed that He created me. I even believed that He was all powerful. By the end of the day, I saw Him as someone that was just a rule. So if I followed the rules, if I obeyed, if I was a good moral person, all things would work out for my benefit at the end. And I was okay with that. It was really confusing, honestly. Uh, how could you have everything that you want, everything you, you need, uh, but still have hopelessness and, and still be empty inside? It was, again, it was just really confusing. Um, and that's when Jesus showed up and changed everything. When I was 19, I was in a relationship with someone, and he was actually ending things with me, and he told me about God, and he suggested a church to go to. I went to an evening service, and I just remember John 3.16 appeared on the overhead, and I read that. I cried uh, because I knew that I desperately needed Jesus. At the age of six, I accepted Christ into my heart. And ever since then, it's been a journey of ups and downs. I say downs because of me, but God is so faithful and God is always there. God is always seeking, always pursuing, and always reminding me of Jesus' death on the cross for my sin and to give me a new identity in him. That's the amazing thing, um, that all of us can just come to Christ just as we are, and he doesn't let us stay the same, and he helps us to change and to grow, but He, we can come as we are. Through those experiences, my faith transitioned from something I inherited from my mom to truly being my own faith. Um, and 
and it changed my life. Um, now I'm no longer torn between these two viewpoints. Um, my efforts aren't torn between, you know, trying to build God's kingdom versus trying to build my kingdom. I would say it was through the process of reading God's word and prayer and through his Holy Spirit as well as really reflecting on Christ and his life of humility and service and sacrifice that has really enabled me to change bit by bit slowly to become someone who is more able to serve others, who's more able to sacrifice and to lay down my desires, my wishes, my preferences for my children, for my husband, or for people in my community, for those around me. And I still struggle a lot with trying to fix and redeem myself but I know he's patient and I know that he wants to have a, an actual relationship with me much more than he wants me to um, just do the right thing and make good choices. When I place my faith in Jesus, when I begin to trust in him, I begin to have hope. And I started trying to model my life after his life. And so I began to try to do that myself and something began to change inside of me. Jesus began to change my life. So since then, my life hasn't been rosy and impeachy and void of pain, but I have joy that can't be taken away. And in Jesus, my life has a purpose. True fulfillment uh, only comes from Jesus, and that everything else is temporary. Um, it truly is, and it's, it's a really um, amazing feeling to, to learn that and own it.